0: Well, just generally, maybe they can just get comfortable, you know, um, kind of doing what you're you've always been doing. As a mentor, it's my time's volunteered, um, so I don't get paid for that. But you know, I saw it as a good opportunity to kind of give back, and then also, you know, to potentially learn, um, and hear problems that are happening maybe outside of my organization. You maybe don't want to continue with hiring all like full time staff to to staff up, you know, a lending operation. You could essentially we would provide that whole service for you, kind of white label. I don't expect everyone to be like best friends, right? But you have to have camaraderie and you know, you have to get
1: along, right? Oh, hello, uh, FinTech leaders and builders. And I'm Vasil Solashub from Insart. And uh, this is our uh, next episode of FinTech City of podcast. And uh, here we have uh, talks with experienced fintech leaders who share uh, with us their knowledge and stories and how to build uh, great fintech products and companies. And before we start, so please uh, subscribe to our channel and uh, you're also welcome to uh, comment on this video and uh, put all your uh, questions below. And uh, we will answer to all of your questions in the comments of this video and let's actually Let's start. And uh, let me introduce our today's guest, uh, Kyle Lemme. He is, uh, VP of uh, engineering in Maxwell, a digital mortgage platform and well, uh, uh, value uh, that provides value added services designed exclusively for small and mid sized uh, mortgage lenders. And uh, as I know, Kyle graduated from uh, Virginia Tech in 2005. And uh, uh, he is a very customer focused uh, engineering leader with over 15 uh, years of experience. And also Kyle worked uh, on developed products for uh, different sizes and types of companies like fortune uh, 500, uh, federal government and also startups and uh, he likes to develop products with uh, as an as i know with uh, perfect and efficient ui ux uh, and workflows and as i know kyle lives in uh, uh, boulder colorado and uh, he also has a great experience traveling around the world and from what I learned about Kyle, he traveled to different parts of the world, like New Zealand, Australia, India, Thailand, uh, and uh, doing, uh, he, uh, and acting as a photographer. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So, uh, Kyle, uh, so please introduce yourself and uh, tell us what's what's your story and uh, is if everything is correct <laughs> <laughs> from what I, uh, just mentioned about you.
0: Yeah, I hope it is because it comes from my bias. <laughs> but yeah, good to be here. Um, yeah, I would say you know I uh, currently live in in Colorado, but uh, you know I guess sort of background on on how I got into engineering. Um, maybe a little bit less typical path, but uh, I was not a CS major. I was uh, my degrees in business information technology um, or. A lot of places might have it as management information systems. So, had some development classes in college. Um, you know, had some professors who said, "Don't you know when you graduate, don't go get a job as a programmer. Like that's not what your specialty is. That's not what your role is." Um, and so I was kind of, uh, you know, I, I was I was not keen on um, on looking for a software engineering role, but you know, life has a way of, of changing your plans, and uh, my first position was with a, a government consultant in D.C., I was supposed to be on a project as kind of a business analyst, and then uh, I and some others, that project kind of got held up, and we're, you know, new new grads were sitting around sort of twiddling our thumbs, and, you know, management said, hey, everyone should get your job up. What was it? Java 1.4 certifications. Um, I may I have the version off. I don't remember that far back, but anyway, so I got the certification yeah. thinking, I don't know why I'm going to get this certification because I'm not, I'm not a developer. <laughs> and uh, so I passed that. And uh, eventually I got so bored, um, you know, not doing anything I said, you know, went and said, "Hey, put me on a project. I don't care what it is. Okay. It's if it's development, you know, I'll I'll do it." So that was kind of how I uh, was was thrown into the uh, development ro- world, and I kind of thought, you know, hey, if I fail at this, um, <clears throat> it's not really my fault.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so,
0: but yeah, ever since then, you know, um, you know, that was kind of starting out in a consulting consulting world. Um, I was at Red Hat in their consulting branch. Um, for a bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, working on various projects for for companies like capital One or or others. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know moved out to Boulder about back in 2012. I'd just been married about a year, so my wife and I moved out here. and part of that move was I really wanted to get involved in the startup scene. Um, and mm-hmm. so you know Boulder is uh, you know, is big there. You know, the other options were, Austin or San Francisco, Seattle, you know, your typical places, but, uh, Boulder kind of matched, you know, our, our lifestyle a little bit more as far as the outdoors, yeah. snowboarding and things like that. So we ended up here and worked in various, uh, capacities, contracting for, for startups through TechStars, or, you know, um, attempted my own startup once or twice, um, that didn't didn't end up making it, but, you know, you learn a lot through through the failure and um, and continue on. So, yeah, so most most recently here at Maxwell, uh, leading the engineering team with
1: uh, mm-hmm. our yeah So, do you have any preference, you know, looking for, like, a bigger company, bigger enterprise or organization, or, you know, like, smaller company, like a startup, from your experience? Yeah,
0: I mean, I think, you know, the consulting world kind of introduced me to... I mean, Capital One's huge, you know. Um, and I, I remember, I think it was, I think it was at Capital One. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, you realize that a, a really, really large organization—it's it's hard to affect change. And mm-hmm. you know, you go in there, um, kind of wanting to, um, wanting to help, right? And and see that change. And I remember there was, I think one story that kind of sticks out. Um, they were for the project that I was on. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Whatever system they're using, I think they were using a. a I'm, I'm blanking on the names. Whenever I think of names, uh, it wasn't a JBoss. Um, it was an Oracle web server uh, okay. system, you know. And I was kind of playing in the the admin functions there, and I said, you know, hey, mm-hmm. you don't have the auto one-click button rollback deployment mm-hmm. enabled, you know, and and the team, I think at the time would would I think there was what, 12 people or something. If they would need to do a deployment, it would happen on like a Wednesday night or something, you know, all everyone getting on the call, making sure what do we have to do if, if something breaks, right? On that deployment. Okay. So, okay. All hands on deck kind of deployment process. And we kind of brought up, hey there's this setting that you can easily do a rollback if anything, if anything happens, you know? So it's just like those things. I don't think that was implemented. Um, because, you know, maybe, maybe some folks lose their jobs if, uh, if that's the case, but that's maybe one little example to where, Mm -hmm. you know, you see efficiencies that that can be gained and, you know, in a really, really large organization. A lot of times it's, it's harder to, gain, uh, you know, momentum or acceptance around, you know, making some of those changes.
1: Why do you think it's happening? Is it because of, you know, like risk-taking or non-risk-taking approach? So why is it happening?
0: Yeah, I think when you, the organization gets so large and you just have so many, you know, a, a lot of the cooks in the kitchen, you know, just ch- the change process becomes burdensome and has mm-hmm. to go through layer over layer to, to, to see anything. So I think that's where, you know, innovation tends to, to be harder to, to continue on. So unless, you know, unless there's a big push for that, okay. I think well, just generally, maybe they can just get comfortable, you know, um, kind of doing what you're, you've always been doing. And so to bring mm-hmm. in an outside idea, um, can mm-hmm. be a little bit scary maybe.
1: So by the way, um, what was the biggest team you have managed and uh, what what size of the of the teams do you prefer to manage yeah the biggest
0: would be here at maxwell um like i said i've been involved in startups and you know smaller teams but the team here maxwell is about
1: 31 folks Mm -hmm. so do you prefer like to manage bigger team you know or smaller team again uh if in in if in big company uh you Maybe some some changes uh, can be can be done because of uh, so many decision makers, many layers. Uh, maybe in smaller company, you 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 can be more efficient. So, what's what's your view on that? Just interesting.
0: Yeah, I think um, I mean it's different. I think the the roles different once the team you know gets over you know from a, a lot of my career has been in that earlier stage startup you know to where there'd been you know you're more hands on um you know i think here once the team starts growing you know more than 10 then you know you're doing less of that hands on coding um and so i think it's just different challenges you know i really i, I like the the challenge of you know not being the direct you know the direct person as far as like, you know, the where the software is going, you, you have to learn to affect that change and, and making sure that your engineering managers or, you know, your more experienced developers, you know, you're coaching and, and trying to get them to um, to take action, right, and to take ownership over things. And and so I think the, the challenge is, it's the same maybe problem set, but the challenge is you have to approach it differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned the uh, coaching and uh, I also uh, read on your pl- profile that you serve like a volunteer uh, uh, mentor at Plato and you mentioned a number of times uh, that uh, on your LinkedIn profile, actually, uh, that you were mentoring all the teams that you manage. So, what is so important about mentoring? So, why why mentoring? Yeah, what I mean, I think your... for
0: me, yeah, I started. I don't if folks are aware, but Plato is kind of a mentoring organization. Engineering mm-hmm. teams can kind of sign up and pay. Um, okay.
1: But,
0: but as a mentor, it's my time's volunteered, um, so I don't mm-hmm. get paid for that. But you know, I saw it as a good opportunity to kind of give back, and then also you know to potentially learn. Um, and hear problems that are happening, maybe outside of my organization to, to see, mm-hmm. hey, is there, uh, are there themes, right? And, and you know, hopefully be able to provide good insight into maybe how somebody mm-hmm. might approach a problem or a situation that they're running into. So um, mm-hmm. it's been, yeah, it's been really fun so far. Working, I've been working with two folks um, for the past six months and uh, it's been really mm-hmm. good to hear that uh, I had, some good advice at least to, uh, help them, help them through some things. So, um, you know, so that's always good to, feels good to be able to provide some value there. Um, but yeah, I think it's just important, right? I mean, everyone has different backgrounds experiences and so I'm going to have blind sights myself,
1: things that I don't
0: see, right. That maybe if I approach it from a different angle, um, you know maybe there's a better outcome there so i think that's to me that's where the, the coaching and mentoring comes in it's really just about helping each other get better and improve on you know on on what you're doing um whether that's on the you know how do we how do you operate and in, in, as a team in order to deliver uh, value to the business or you know mm-hmm. it could be more personal it's like you know as a manager maybe, how do I communicate what I need from folks, right? Um, so I, I, it's, it's a very broad area, right? You always, in, in those mentoring relationships, you're kind of touching on a lot of them at different points. And so um, mm-hmm. it's definitely a uh, every situation is different, you know, so it's a challenge to, to think through each of those
1: but uh, is it like uh, more more opposite to like directional management when you just set tasks uh, or is it the complementary to the you know classic management style I mean being a mentor to to the to your team mem- members like you know like people uh describe like Mandarin is like a specific managerial type uh when you when you you know, uh, give an opportunity to, to your team members uh, to make mistakes and out of this and learn out of these mistakes, based on these mistakes, on these mistakes. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you think it's more efficient, like, uh, to have this style? Um, I mean,
0: yeah. I think if you're allowing room for mistakes, I mean, that kind of aligns a little bit with with how I would approach it. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to micromanage, right, down to the last detail. Um, I think you're not going to find very happy employees, right? Like, I think the, I mean, my approach is is really, I I want to see everyone grow, right? I want to see them grow in their careers and their, you know, how they communicate, like, so various things. So I think the, you know, while there, I might potentially give tasks, it's more like, hey, you know, it's, it's a collaboration, right? Um, I mean, just this week, or, you know, this week, talking to a couple of engineering managers, where mm-hmm. we had, um, we had some issues with one of our pages, and you know, it was identified, call it a month ago, um, to where there was their slowness for our users. And so we had identified it a month ago, but yet, you know, we hadn't put in some pretty easy changes some some missing indexes. Right. So that would improve okay. the, the queries and the load times. And so, you know, that was that was a good opportunity to work with those engineering managers to say, hey, how do we prevent? You know, let's use this as an example. How do we prevent the next time from going a whole month before we actually get around to addressing something? Right. Especially when you look at the um, you know the 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 cost versus reward aspect of it, right? Adding indexes mm-hmm. takes no time at all, and yet the reward is a major decrease in in page load times, right, for users. And so, I think that's that's maybe one example to where you know it's a learning experience, and it's saying, okay, let's uh, let's look at a situation, and then how do we learn from it, and then you know how do we get better? You know, is there something that that engineering manager could start doing on a weekly basis to help prevent that, right, in the future. That might mean more yes. regularly logging into, you know, your uh, your monitoring stack and and looking at slow queries, right, things like that. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. I, I guess, I approach it as nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect, you know. Um, but what we want to see is we want to we want to improve, right, and get better at our craft every day. So.
1: Yeah, certainly, certainly. So I I personally believe this is a really great approach when you uh, allow this this space for for mistakes, but certainly you and all the team members need to learn on these mistakes and uh, improve yourself actually um, and be more efficient. Uh, And so, okay. uh, So, hey, here's another question and topic I have. So actually we're about FinTech here and uh, you have uh, experience with already number of companies in fintech area so the company is Maxwell and uh, also dignify this is the previous company and Kick uh, further so so why fintech so why um, why did you move to fintech space what was interesting for you to do um, that?
0: yeah I guess I didn't purposely do it. <laughs> Okay. So, I uh, Dignify, um, a tech company, um, uh, that I had contracted and, and worked with, you know, about a year into when I moved to Boulder. Um, one of the co-founders there had went and was a CTO at Dignify. And so, um, you know, he's a good friend and, and mentor, um, to me. Uh, and I would just, you know, we, we stay in touch and get breakfast with them once a month, but you know, back then we had the relationship not like it is today but um yeah we knew each other we worked together and um i was looking for a position and um so kind of joined there and uh yeah so i guess that was maybe the kind of the first foray into the fintech world um we were doing auto repair financing loans so
1: really interesting
0: um you know problem space you know if you think about somebody who you go because your car breaks down, you bring it to auto, auto shop, right. And they tell you it's $1,500 to replace the transmission. And a lot of the, the U S populations who we served, you know, in a lot of cases, $1,500 out-of-pocket expense is not planned is a really big deal for people. And, uh, and so that's kind of, you know, we served, we served, yeah. The vast majority of people, I would say, we would serve people with like 800 credit scores potentially but you know our majority of folks were people who had let you know not as good credit um and uh really provided a service and that company is still running and um but really you know strove to provide a good service that was really transparent and upfront to people on um you know and helping them kind of get back on their feet as far as uh, getting their car repaired because a lot of times, if people don't have a car, they can't get to work, and that's a really big deal, right? So, providing a good service there.
1: Okay, yeah, that's interesting. And another another question here. Uh, so, as I understand you, uh, you are a photographer for a while, and uh, you even uh, traveled to like New Zealand, Australia, India, Thailand, Laos, and you know to 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 take photos, you know, see uh, see people, but my question here is, uh, how did that help your engineering career? So that's a good question. I don't maybe know. not like di- yeah, not like direct help. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I think it, you know, like I think kind of I think experience. I always tell
0: people if you have the opportunity to travel, especially other countries, like do it, right? Because it's gonna put you in uncomfortable situations potentially. It's going to um you know, it's gonna kind of broaden your 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 outlook on things, right? So I think for me, I would say that was the biggest benefit. Um of traveling is just experiencing other cultures and seeing how other cultures approach things. Um, you know, it was just really interesting. And so you, uh, yeah, you know, I think I walked away, I traveled for close to about a year, but, um, you know, I walked away from, from that as, you know, I would say, I, I think coming back, you know, just having more, I don't know, just being more grateful, right. Like it was just in the, in the sense of like, you know, I experienced a lot of hospitality, right? Like, that was probably one of the biggest takeaways is, if I see somebody that's, maybe it's through a friend or something that that's in the US, you know, they're not from here, Um, I tend to kind of offer up our house, you know, to stay in, you know, like, basically, just trying to extend the hospital, hospitality aspect, because I experienced it when I was in India, right. And had connections through various people here and there you know but like you know just when you experience that firsthand it really helps you to realize that hey if somebody is traveling you know it's a big deal to to say hey let's let, let's go out to dinner or um you know or offering a place to stay or things like that mm-hmm. so um yeah I don't know I think that's that's maybe uh, a big one I don't know if it directly impacted my career outside of more personal growth
1: Yeah, uh, so what is the perfect uh, product user experience for you? What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, so uh, if you develop a software product, you basically need to develop UI UX. And so what do you think? What do you think is the perfect user experience uh, that the product? uh, must have, yeah. Every product must have.
0: I mean, I think you know, it gets down to simplicity. Um, I I can't remember who who the quote was from, but basically, it's you know, it's something like you know, the uh, the closer you can make something feel like magic, um, you know, the better. As far as you know, around like technology, and so I think the. The more seamless and potentially simple something can be, or the more it's like, oh wow, how did that happen? Like it feels kind of like magical. I think, you know, that is that's good a good thing to have in your product if you can. Now obviously you don't wanna you don't wanna hide everything so that like you don't know what's going on, right? But if you can kind of meet the, you know, a layout and, and design that's very simple, um, that's intuitive, right? You don't have to have a bunch of labels everywhere explaining what every single thing does because it just makes sense i think you know that would be something i would strive towards um and obviously you know it all depends on your user base and you know somebody who's younger who kind of has grown up in technology right in the internet is going to have different experience than you know somebody who's you know 80 right now so you always have to take your audience in mind to, to figure out uh how how you should be building on um, those things
1: okay yeah got it got it all right yeah because i was thinking that uh it, i mean as soon as uh you have this foot uh fo- photo photography experience so maybe you're more visual and uh this helps somehow in your uh in your professional life uh with the user interfaces um, so okay
0: yeah I can just I think just I think the the art you know you know as you're as you get more into photography right you you tend to you know you learn about the different ratios and you know kind of where your eye draws right so like I think mm-hmm. naturally whether it's, you know, if, if I'm taking a photo or I'm looking at a screen, I, I think for me, it's very quick to sort of point out that like something just doesn't feel right. I don't know. Like it's, yeah. I don't love giving like the, uh, the more like subjective answer, but, you know, I think sometimes in design and, and UX UI, you know, it is a little bit of a gut feeling, but I think a lot of times I can sort of point to, hey, this doesn't look right because, my eye is drawn over here. But our intent is that, you know, the call to is over here, but yet I keep looking in this direction, right. So I think that's maybe where the photography piece comes in, you know, mm-hmm. um, looking at, um, user interfaces. And, you know, I can I can kind of quickly point out like some things what's going on here, you know, and then try to try to understand it a little bit more what's happening. But yeah, the way your eye moves is very subconscious. It's like you don't think about it unless you actually, you know, you're really trying to understand where am I naturally
1: kind of going when I look at something. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great ability, by the way. <laughs> All right. So um, let's talk about your current company, Maxwell. And uh, actually a part of my company mission uh, in... Sorry. Uh, is uh, to transform all verticals of the legacy financial industry, as we say, and also to provide the uh, tools for people to achieve their financial freedom. And uh, to me, it looks like, you know, Maxwell and and Insart were a bit sharing the same uh, views and mission, uh, because you guys are on a mission to continuously innovate solutions for local lenders yeah across uh, uh, across the states and also be a game changer for lenders serving uh, different uh, communities local communities uh, uh, in America so uh, tell me what's exactly uh, you know can be uh, done by using Maxwell technology and platform. so what are the major features that you provide actually
0: yeah um, so when Maxwell started um through our co-founder, John Ora um, they, they had actually gone through Techstars back in 2015, 2016. But um, you know, kind of as they had purchased a home and kind of experienced the the home buying process as far as filling out a loan application. Um, they didn't have a great one, which is kind of what led them to start the company. But um, so that's kind of the history of where we started with as what's called in the industry a point of sale system. So mm-hmm. typically you might you might think of a POS as, you know, you go to a restaurant, and swipe your swipe your card. At least that was kind of how I pictured it. So um, but yeah, the point of sale is is what the mortgage industry, you know, considers the essentially the intake of the uh, loan application from a borrower along with all of the documents and, and that process that has to happen. Um, you know, uploading driver's license and tax documents potentially, right? So all of those requirements mm-hmm. to get a mortgage. So Maxwell has a point of sale system. That's what we started it, started with. Um, I think it was back in it's like the beginning of 2020. Um, we started a kind of branch of the company that was offering um, onshore kind of uh, um, outsource model. So we hired a bunch mm-hmm. of processors and underwriters. And those yeah. are folks who are, you know, part of that mortgage um, application process. So typically, what will happen is, as a borrower, you're talking to a loan officer, potentially a broker, sort of, for this conversation, we'll keep them as you know, similar, similar folks. But they're the salespeople, right? They're talking to you because mm-hmm. you want to get a mortgage and they're telling you, hey, we can give you one for this rate. So you're saying, okay, great. Here's my application. Here's all the documents you need, right? Once all those things sort of get packaged, they, they get sent to a processor. The processor is going to look at it, making sure that everything is there that's needed, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to probably be talking to the borrower to say, hey, you forgot know this or hey the bank statement only has page one of three we need all three pages um you know so various just requirements in that process and once the processor kind of signs off on that then that gets sent over to the underwriter underwriters the one who's working for you know that lender who's going to say yes we should underwrite this loan or no we shouldn't because of various reasons so that's all kind of a little bit of a brief description. There's other steps in that mortgage yes. process, but um, so it, it is sort of like, if you think about an assembly line, you know, it sort of definitely goes through a bunch of different stages, right? Um, so we were concerned on just the point of sale, mm-hmm. which is more of the, the borrower intake piece. Um, and then a couple years ago, um, started out more on the operation side where we hired processors, underwriters, and we, uh, we have closers now too who you know if a, if a lending company says hey we're swamped you know um, we need extra support they might contract with us for the for a year to say we need three processors three underwriters on our team right so we kind of embed them in their team they operate according to um, to however that lender does things so that was sort of the very beginning part of our are are spread across, you know, not just being on the point of sale and the entry piece, but really spreading across the whole mortgage chain. So um, Mm -hmm. now we have a due diligence team um, that'll do due due diligence um, and quality control um, for loans for various companies. Um, We have a capital markets team who's buying and selling loans and um, we're just rolling out now uh basically what we're calling plo private label origination so okay. you a, if you're a lender and you um you maybe don't want to continue with hiring all like full-time staff to to staff up you know a lending operation you could essentially we would provide that whole service for you kind of white label um to where you would you know you would just get borrowers in and we would take over from there and and do the whole origination.
1: All right, all right. You know, um, in the media media outlet Mortgage Professional America back to May uh, this year, uh, I actually read an article uh, about Maxwell uh, products. It was uh, a kind of interview with uh, Ruto, your CTO. And uh, he specifically mentioned that Maxwell platform and technology has three... Uh, major points of innovation. So uh, let's talk about this this bit. Uh, So the the first one was about creating an experience for borrowers, lenders and other users. So in what way do you influence that process in your VP of engineering role right now? And also, uh, like what actually boosts the user experience and lender flow?
0: yeah i mean i think it sort of goes back to do you is the is the product you know um is it clean is it simple is it is it usable right so um we've been rolling out kind of what we're calling our enhanced loan application that we've been working on for for a bit of time now but um you know when the company started we had a very simple like loan application process it was kind of all one page with the whole Mm -hmm. thing and so um we've been converting our clients over to this new enhanced one, which is, you know, it's, you know, just very modern, um, from a design standpoint, you know, it's way more usable. Um, it's, you know, broken up into sections, it loads much quicker. So I think that would be one example of just, you know, our platform wanting to offer the best in class experience for a borrower. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. you go apply somewhere online, you know, a lot of people expect that kind of Apple like, experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, that's kind of what our ELA um, conversion process has been. And, you know, also enabling a lot of other other functionality, right, that we didn't have in our old loan application. So along with that, you know, just uh, for the lender side too, right, um, being able to ensure that they have that similar type of experience. So, um, you know, we're making a lot of changes there to, Make sure that we're staying up to date in our design library and converting old old pages over to um, our new component library and everything there. So, I think the. I guess you asked how I was involved. I mean, I'm involved in helping leading those teams. Yep. I think when I first started, um, one of the first things I did was was setting aside a time or making sure that the front end teams were thinking about, um, you know, creating a component library. So. Um, we started that process when I joined I joined over three years ago, but soon after that is when we first started um, that process. and it's you know it's paid paid off a lot of dividends and reusability across. um we have another product that I didn't mention that we uh, purposely built for processors and and kind of their workflows. And so that component library is used across both products now, and, and you know it just speeds things up a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree with you that uh, in FinTech, there is lots of space uh, to keep the interfaces very clean and easier to use. And this is how we actually different from, you know, legacy financial technologies, financial services, because like, for example, with, we all know, and we all use uh, applications from big banks. So they still trying to catch up with the user experience and user interfaces. Uh so they, you know, like looks like the interfaces back to maybe ten years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where, you know, a, a company like Maxwell can really, you know, it can help improve. If you're a medium, smaller size lending institution, I mean a lot of them, they're not custom building, right? They're point of sales or other software. Yes. So, you know, it's an important consideration because it is a first impression in a lot of cases, right, to a potential new banking employee. So if somebody walks in off the street or has, you know, a friend who just got a mortgage with them and they experience an application process, it's like really janky and, you know, it's not intuitive mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel modern. Um, then, you know, is that person going to say, oh, you know, I had such a lousy experience applying for the mortgage, I want to go now get a bank account and other products from this lender you know so that's always you know something to keep you know in mind um that there's a i mean i guess it, it's it's measurable to an extent but you know it's also that first impression that uh makes a big difference
1: okay okay yeah so you know the second uh, point of innovation mentioned was uh uh that Maxwell also uh, devoted uh, much of its development to data and information and uh, how to use uh, and process it. And uh, my question here is, so do you use any kind of data science, machine learning uh, methods and approaches to help address the volumes of uh, data involving uh, borrower personal information, uh, data about the loans, and uh, maybe other data as well. Yeah,
0: I would say, so we, this year has kind of been a much bigger focus for us around our data and and, and having a data science team. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've been working towards, across different systems, getting things in our, our data warehouse um, so that we can start to analyze, uh, you know, patterns and, and figure those things out a little bit more. So I would say we're we're more on the uh the infancy stage there. Um we do have some, you know, different um integrations and piece of technology that, you know, where we look to try to make the loan application process quicker for a borrower, right? So it's so what we call quick apply. Uh, if they put in it's basically their phone number to validate and then last four of their social, we can pull back you know, different financial information a pre-fill an application um, for borrowers. So we've seen the clients that use that has, you know, they've, seen, I can't, I, this numbers may be wrong, but I think it's fairly close. I think maybe a 10% improvement on application submission rates, right? So there's obviously mm-hmm. a cost to that, but the, the benefit, right, with that percentage versus the cost is, you know, for a lender, they should take that option every day um, if they're going to see those those types of rates increase because that's going to lead to to more revenue and and profits for them too so
1: you know the and this this third one uh the third one very important point, also related to the data but from the security perspective i mean like which you know security is a big deal in the whole fintech space but specifically uh on the maxwell platform so how do you protect sensitive data that flows through the system and maybe uh what are the levels of security to protect personal data and information uh so can you tell us a little bit here yeah i mean i would
0: say you know standard standard encryption at rest you know those those types of things you know we have uh web application firewalls in front of our sites, um, you know, we do uh, yearly penetration testing and, and audits and everything there. So I don't think we do anything super out of the ordinary. I think, you know, uh, cover cover our bases and ensure that we're um, staying up to date with those things, making sure patches, you know, software patches are applied, you know, regularly. So, um, you know, it's really keeping on top of those things as they change um, and, and being aware of, of what's going on in the, in the security world. So one of our engineers is, is big on that too. He's been writing, um, kind of just follows security updates as they happen. And we'll post that on our blog, um, as kind of just a summary of major events that have happened. So, yeah, I mean, we're always looking to improve that, you know, and continue to, uh, make sure that we're, uh, adhering to best practices and standards and, and, uh, keeping keeping on abreast of it
1: kyle i've uh, i also i also read that um maxwell has grown into something like more than 300 people uh during the last few years and uh, so my question here is uh, so so how, how do you keep up with the, the strong culture within your organization because for us, uh, it looks like you know, with uh, when you grow, there are a number of challenges, and you know, one of the challenges is to keep good engineering culture. Uh, so, what can you tell us yeah. uh, on that?
0: Yeah. So I would say we really kind of started growing a ton back on the operations side a couple of years back, and so I think one of the things we purposely did, and you know, and that our CEO insured was basically said hey like as we are looking to grow rapidly we need to maintain our hiring standards right and we want to make sure that we're hiring for people that match our values and our culture and so um that was a really big thing as we you know all the operational leaders uh, myself included were in a lot of those interviews in the early stages because we didn't have a full-on recruiting team you know and we were we were growing super rapidly. So I was doing interviews with people outside of engineering. um, And really, it was it was kind of that the operational leaders were doing those as far as the culture fit, right. And making sure that we're Mm -hmm. keeping a high bar and and ensuring that we're hiring people that um, you know, that are gonna that are gonna work well here at Maxwell. So I think there's the it's a lot harder, you know, once somebody gets through the door if they don't match your values to where you're gonna have to let them go you know that's the the flip side of it but you know if you can keep that gate um you know narrow and, and ensure that you're filtering out those people beforehand you know I think then you're gonna have a lot less it you know uh, situations where you, you're gonna have to have performance conversations and you know and and let people go so I think, as a, overall, as a company, as an engineering organization, we have done a really good job of of doing that. I think that probably is, you know, credited to um, our interview process and 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 how we operate that, I guess. Um, and so, I think that it doesn't matter what role it is; like the values piece is a big, big chunk of it. And so. Um, as far as the engineering side, for whoever you know, when when we were really scaling up hiring, we're not doing as much hiring now. But you know, um, those initial conversations would generally look like a, a short conversation with a recruiter, um, and then generally I was the one who was having that next conversation with somebody, and I was really evaluating for those values um, and experience. But you know, we weren't getting into nitty gritty technical details. But you know, I can. I don't know, when you have the experience in an industry, you can, you can filter out and you can kind of see who's maybe not, uh, whose resume doesn't necessarily match up as well with their, uh, with their experience. And so those first interviews are really about, you know, a culture fit and experience level. And then from there, the team would kind of take on more of those technical discussions and, and really dive in there. And then we kind of come back together and make a, a kind of a group decision on does this person, yeah, do we want to extend an offer or not and kind of use all of those inputs. Um, so yeah, I think the just ensuring that, the, that, that values and, and making sure you have questions around those, those that'll maybe dig into those values, uh, for your company are really important.
1: So how do you, uh, how do you make sure, uh, there is a cultural fit with, uh, with your team? Of, uh, of the candidates?
0: Yeah, I mean, so for us, like our company uh, values are, it's the ROCKS acronym, rigor, ownership, curiosity, kindness, and straight up. Um, so it's really about like, you know, my questions, there's questions that you're asking people or, you know, hopefully you're having questions on each of them. And then if somebody gives you an answer, I like to ask why, because I like understanding and, and, and put somebody a little bit off the spot, you know, not, not being mean or anything, but it was like, oh, you mentioned that, like, let's dig in there. Like, can you explain more? Right. And so really trying to understand that, right. So does, does somebody have good examples to where they really own something, right. And saw it from beginning to end, Um, you know, how many questions are they asking? Are they curious? Are they giving, you know, Do they have examples to where curiosity led them to change their mind or a different situation, you know, different solution. Um, yeah. Are they kind? Like we don't want to work with people who, <laughs> you know,
1: in okay. general,
0: like the, the no a whole policy, right? Like we, we want, we want people that are kind, you know? So I think each company obviously is going to have different focus on different areas. And so it's really about in the interview process. Can you, can you evaluate those things? Right. And so. If people, you know, really shone through on like how they demonstrated those things in past experiences, then, you know, for the most part, they had the experience, they had all of those in alignment, and they would move on to that next stage to to Mm -hmm. really get down to the more of the technical evaluation.
1: So do do you think uh, having the the engineers hired uh, with the good cultural fit helps you to retain Uh, The team members going forward in your team.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we haven't had a ton of attrition in the past two or three years on the engineering side, Um, and so I think from an attrition level, like we've we've done really well. And I think I would attribute that to the culture, right? That like people generally enjoy each other, and you know we get along well um, and. You know hopefully we, we're having some fun too right in it and so um i think it's a balance like culture is a balance right you obviously want to deliver value to the to the business but you also there has to be some breathing room right and there has to be um you know you have to have some like i don't expect everyone to be like best friends right but you have to have yeah. camaraderie and you know you have to get along right and so i would say our team does that in spades and and really um you know generally gets along really well and you know there hasn't been many instances where we've had to uh let anyone go on purpose okay you know performance issues
1: so hey here is another question so when the company grows and the product grows and uh, you have a grown number of clients uh, you actually need to add more and more features. And there is also a situation to find the balance between adding more features because your clients demand some additional features or your sales team demands some additional features for some potential clients and also fighting the technical doubt. So we actually found this is the kind of situation probably each company experiences, and uh, everyone tries to find this balance between adding new features and uh, finding the technical depth because you know when you find the technical depth it looks like you're not adding like value to the product yep. so what's your view what's your view uh, on this and what experience do you have at maxwell with that
0: yeah so one of the things that we um, we started doing a year I don't remember when a year or two ago um, I started it with just the front end team because I was a little bit closer at the time but then that quickly moved to kind of other teams but um, I started the meetings we asked, had another engineer who said oh this is kind of what um, what Spotify called guild guild meetings um, so okay. we adopted okay. the language right but. Um, but yeah, I think those guild meetings, we have a back end, a front end, a QA one, a data one. And I think those have been really helpful to to move like some of those initiatives away from like what I maybe would want to see from a technical debt perspective or what our CTO would want. And so it's really empowering the teams and the individuals to, to come up with that list, right? Um, because that's really what I want, right? I don't want everything dictated from the top i want engineers to feel empowered to own their systems and the things that they're responsible for right and so um a a lot of that can come from that meeting to where it's saying you know it's not used just for technical debt right it might be Mm -hmm. on the back end one it might be a specific pattern that you know somebody put into place for some new feature and and they want to share it with the team you know and get input or hey maybe we should adopt this across different code bases right things like that mm-hmm. um but a lot of it may also be you know different tech debt decisions or you know things that we want to make sure that we're thinking about for the quarter right so
1: mm-hmm. okay,
0: that means uh ruby upgrade from two seven to three okay from there it's you know it's more from the bottom up and then saying okay if this is what something that we want to do as an engineering team, Mm -hmm. we how how do we accomplish that? Right. Like action has to come out of that. And I'll make the case all day long for that tech debt and and addressing the tech debt. If the team is telling me, Hey, this is a big deal. This is what we want to do. Mm -hmm. I'll fight, you know, uh, and, and, and work with product to get that on the roadmap. And so I think it's really some of that more bottom up from there. It's, you know, can the engineering managers start to, um, start to help plan in their, in their sprint process, you know, uh, different, Mm -hmm. different pieces of work, right. To, to do that. So Mm -hmm. we generally, you know, across the teams, we say anywhere from call it 10 to 20%, on a sprint we want to see as like tech tech debt being handled Mm -hmm. Um, so i think you know we've done pushes like bigger pushes where it's a very big focus so uh, rails upgrade we did i think a year ago to go from three to four was like a good chunk of a quarter or two right and a big initiative we had we did that again this year to get the rails five to and then, you know, we're trying to work on how do we stay more ahead of those things, right? And so right. that discussion is in the the back end guild, for instance, or even the front end guild, right? Making sure we're staying up to date on React versions and things like that. So I think it comes down to finding ownership and finding somebody that can help carry those things forward and is gonna help lead those things. And then, you know, individual engineers you know, hopefully, stepping up and saying, "Yeah, I'll. I'll I want to tackle this piece and contribute to it." And so, um, it's certainly a, a, a cycle because you have to you have to continue talking about it, so that otherwise, it can get lost in the shuffle, right? Of just new features all the time. And so, I think it there's a there's a mix that everyone should be considering and thinking about those things, and then presenting them, bringing out to the team and then working towards, you know, um, making improvements there. So that's kind of how we've, we've kind of tackled it. Um, I think, you know, we'll try to introduce things like linters that call out, you know, things that should be changed. Mm -hmm. I think what I've seen with that is that unless you make more of a proactive initiative, Mm -hmm. something like that doesn't necessarily. Uh, a a linter warning saying hey use this instead of this doesn't always affect change as well as you know saying hey as a team what do we want to rally around and like can we set a goal to accomplish Mm -hmm. something around our tech debt for the quarter and then really taking steps to actually to do that
1: okay yeah so you mentioned that you structure the teams uh, with the guilt approach so maybe can you tell us a bit about how you structure the team? Um,
0: yeah, so those, the guilds are not, so our teams are, you know, kind of product squads or pods or whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. The engineering manager, engineers, designer, product manager. So that's kind of how our teams are structured. The The guild is really about that. As we grew and started having multiple teams, that's kind of where, I saw Mm -hmm. that we needed to have better cross-team collaboration. So that's kind of what that really serves on is is allowing the engineers to share information about things that they're working on, patterns they're putting into place, tech items they're running into. So it's really a cross-team kind of uh, meeting is what those guilds serve as. And then, like I said, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how our teams are managed as far as like the product teams.
1: So is it more about like knowledge sharing? The guilds specifically? The guilds specifically, is it more about knowledge sharing between, uh, you know, cross functional teams that you have? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, cause each team's operating in their own cadence, um, you know, and their focus of our product and what they're working on. So, without kind of that bigger group meeting, you don't have, you, we didn't have the opportunity as much, right, to say, hey, I ran into this thing or this tech debt, you know. And there's some other avenues that we kind of try to, that I try to have the teams collaborate kind of on that broader manner. Um, but those guilds have really been instrumental in making sure that we're considering tech debt, right, because the back end one, you know, it's open to anyone. We have front-end engineers who sit in on the back-end one, and vice versa. But it's really about, you know, the focus is for that back-end one. Okay, are there tech debt back-end items that we need to be thinking about, right? And so we, like most companies, probably have a, a long list of um, various tech debt initiatives that we want to accomplish and 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 get more of the feet on, and so. Um, you know it's really that cross team collaboration is, is what those serve as and yeah and it can be knowledge sharing people represent mm-hmm. something that they ran into or that they learned recently so I, i'm really big on i'm really big on knowledge sharing so whether it's through the guild meeting every other week yeah. we have like a engineering learning session and that's really these are all all of these that i'm mentioning the agendas are not set by me it's it's from the engineers, right? So the the ask is, hey, if you have something to teach, here's an avenue, right? Here's a here's a way to get back okay. to the team to share the knowledge that you maybe just learned or that you already knew. And so we've had really good, you know, various discussions in in those outlets um, for people to to share, present new things.
1: So do you, do you use any kind of an uh data analytics to uh and, and gather some uh, uh analytics about your product behavior to improve uh, the product um
0: yeah we use uh, pendo um is, is kind of what our product team uses the most um to see how our different features are used um you know we have Google Analytics, so you know typical stuff. I think that's one of the things I think you know we're always looking to to improve, right? Are we Are we measuring the right things to know mm-hmm. that that what we're building and releasing is providing that value? So um, that's always something you know uh, a conversation that we're always readdressing and, and making sure that we are able to see see value in those things.
1: All right, so. Uh- yeah so maybe my very last question here uh let's talk a bit about the future and uh, so and my question is here uh so if you have a chance maybe in future to build uh, your own uh, fintech product and uh, this is about the trends what do you see on the market so what would uh, this product be about
0: um, you know, how, how can the process be less manual, right. And, and potentially more automated. So those are things that we're evaluating and, and looking at, you know, continuing to build upon. Um, so if you think about, you know, OCR, like so the other product I mentioned, um, that's built for the processor, you know, there's OCR tech in there to automatically validate information and documents, pull the information out, right, so that you're not copy pasting things. So I think what you see in our industry, um, specifically, is a more effort towards some of the automation, right? How do you reduce the manual pieces that a processor is working on, for example, Or, or, you know, so like, typically, let's say a processor could have you know, I think on average, it's like 30 loans a month in their pipeline. You know, our question is, how do we innovate with technology that's going to make that processor twice as efficient to where they can carry 60 loans in their pipeline, right. And so there's obviously technology and software can do things better than humans can do. Um, And so can we alleviate those things from a processor so that they can focus on what they do best, which is, is you know, from a human perspective about evalu- evaluating the output of some of those validations and then talking to the customer, talking to the borrower, answering those questions, right? So I think, you know, that's what we're really seeing in the industry is a move towards um, a more streamlined kind of loan application factory, if you want to call it that, right? Um, so that's, you know, that's where we're looking to innovate mm-hmm. and continue to uh, put uh, resources towards.
1: All right, Kyle, so it was really a pleasure to talk with you and uh, thank you for, for sharing all your experience and uh, how to develop the product uh, and uh, how to establish really great teams.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it and appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and also to all our uh, viewers and listeners again, so you're welcome to put all your comments and questions uh, below this video. And uh, don't forget to like this video and subscribe to our channel. And uh, uh, tell us uh, what you think, uh, how to develop the best fintech products. And uh, again, Kyle, thank you. And stay tuned and healthy. See you next time.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank you.